Your spell. Quickly, came the command. Raistlin had already recovered from his startlement and his fear. The spell came immediately to his lips. His hand performed the motions, tracing the symbol of a sun in the air. Sparks from the fireball still glimmered on the cellar floor at his feet. He noticed as he moved his hand that his skin had a golden cast to it, but he did not let himself do more than remark upon this as a curiosity. He dared not lose his concentration. Symbol drawn, he spoke the words of magic. The symbol flashed brightly in the air. He had spoken the words correctly, accurately. From the fingers of his outstretched right hand streaked five small flaming projectiles, a puny response to the deadly weapons of the powerful archmages. Raistlin was not surprised to hear the dark elves laughing at him. He might as well have been tossing gnome crackers at them. He waited, holding his breath, praying that the old man kept his promise, praying to the gods of magic to see to it that the old man kept his promise. Raistlin had the satisfaction, the deep abiding satisfaction of hearing elven laughter sucked away by indrawn breaths of astonishment and alarm. The five streaks of flame were now ten, now twenty. No longer smidgens of flame, they were crackling, sparkling, white-hot stars, stars shooting up the stairs, shooting with unerring accuracy for Raistlin's three foes. Now it was the Dark Elves who had no escape, no defensive spells powerful enough to protect them. The deadly stars struck with a concussive force that knocked Raistlin off his feet, and he was standing some distance from the center of the blast. He felt the heat of the flames all the way down the cellar steps. He smelled burning flesh. There were no screams. There had not been time for screams. Raistlin picked himself up. He wiped dirt from his hands, noting once more the peculiar golden color of his skin. The realization came to him that this golden patina had protected him from the fireball. It was like a knight's armor, only much more effective than armor. A plate and chain mail-clad knight would have fried to death if that fireball had struck him, whereas Raistlin had suffered no ill effects. And if that is true, he said to himself, if this is armor or a shield of some magical type, then it could aid me considerably in the future. The storage room was ablaze. Raistlin waited until the worst of the flames had died down, taking his time, recovering his strength, bringing his next spell to mind. Holding the sleeve of his robe over his nose against the stench of charred elf, Raistlin mounted the stairs, prepared to face his next foe. Two bodies lay at the top of the cellar stairs. Black lumps burned beyond recognition. A third body was not visible. Perhaps it had been vaporized. Of course, this was all illusion, Raistlin reminded himself. Perhaps the conclave had simply miscounted. Emerging from the cellar, he gathered up the skirts of his robes, stepped over the body of one of the elves. He cast a swift glance around the storage room. The table was a pile of ash. The mops and brooms were wisps of smoke. The image of Fist and Antilus hovered amidst the ruins. His illusory form was thin and translucent, almost indistinguishable from the smoke. A good stiff puff of breath could blow him away. Raistlin smiled. The old man stretched out his arm. It was cloaked in black. The hand was shriveled, wasted, the fingers little more than bare bones. I will take my payment now, said Fist and Antilus. His hand reached for Raistlin's heart. Raistlin took a step backward. He raised his own hand protectively, palm out. I thank you for your assistance, Archmagus, but I rescind my part of the bargain.
What did you say? The words, sibilant, lethal, coiled around inside Raistlin's brain like a viper in a basket. The viper's head lifted, eyes cruel, malignant, merciless stared at him. Raistlin's resolve shook, his heart quailed. The old man's rage crackled around him with flames more fierce than those of the fireball. I killed the elves, Raistlin reminded himself, seizing hold of his fast-fleeing courage. The spell belonged to Fist and Antilus, but the magic, the power behind the spell, was my own. He is weak, drained. He is not a threat. Our bargain is rescinded, Raistlin repeated. Return to the plane from which you've come and there wait for your next victim. You break your promise, Fist and Antilus snarled. What honor is this? Am I a Salamnic knight to concern myself with honor? Raistlin asked, adding, If it comes to that, what honor is there in luring flies to your web where you entangle and devour them? If I am not mistaken... Your own spell protects me from any magic you may try to cast. This time the fly escapes you. Raistlin bowed to the shadowy image of the old man. Deliberately he turned his back, began to walk toward the door. If he could make it to the door, escape this charnel room, this room of death, he would be safe. The way was not far, and though part of him kept expecting to feel the touch of that dread hand, his confidence grew with each step he took nearer the exit. He reached the doorway. When the old man's voice spoke, it seemed to come from a great distance away. Raistlin could barely hear it. You are strong and you are clever. You are protected by armor of your own making, not mine. Yet your test is not concluded. More struggles await you. If your armor is made of steel, true and fine, then you will survive. If your armor is made of dross, it will crack at the first blow, and when that happens, I will slip inside and take what is mine. A voice could not harm him. Raistlin paid no heed to it. He continued walking, reached the door, and the voice drifted away like the smoke in the air. Chapter 6 Raistlin walked through the doorway of Lemuel's storage room and stepped into a dark corridor made of stone. At first he was startled, taken aback. He should have been standing inside Lemuel's kitchen— then he recalled Lemuel's house had never truly existed except in his mind and the mind of those who had conjured it. Light gleamed on the wall near him. A sconce in the shape of a silver hand held a globe of white light, akin to the light of Solinari. Next to that, a hand made of brass held a globe of red light, and beside that hand, a hand of carven ebony held nothing in Raistlin's eyes, at least. Those mages dedicated to Nuitari would see their way clearly. Raistlin deduced from these lights that he was back in the Tower of Weyrith, walking one of the many corridors of that magical building. Fist and Antilus had lied. Raistlin's test was over. He had only to find his way back to the Hall of Mages, there to receive congratulations. A breath of air touched the back of his neck. Raistlin started to turn. Burning pain and the nerve-jarring sensation of metal scraping against bone, his own bone, caused his body to jerk with agony. This is for Micah and Rennet, hissed Liam's vicious voice. Liam's arm, thin, strong, tried to encircle Raistlin's neck. A blade flashed. The elf had intended his first blow to be his last. He had tried to sever Raistlin's spinal cord. That breath of air on his neck had been enough to alert Raistlin. When he turned, 
the blade missed its mark, slid along his ribs. Liam was going to make another try, this time going for the throat. Raceland's panic-stripped mind could not come up with the words of a spell. He had no weapon other than his magic. He was reduced to fighting like an animal with tooth and claw. His fear was his most powerful tool if he did not let it debilitate him. He remembered vaguely watching Sturm and his brother in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Clasping his hands together, Raistlin drove his right elbow with all the force his adrenaline-pumping body could manage into Liam's midriff. The dark elf grunted and fell back, but he was not injured, just short of breath. He leapt back to the fight, his knife slashing. Frantic and terrified, Raistlin grabbed hold of his attacker's knife hand. The two grappled, Liam trying to stab Raistlin, Raistlin struggling to wrench the knife from the Dark Elf's grip. They lurched about the narrow corridor. Raistlin's strength was ebbing fast. He could not hope to keep up this deadly contest for long. Staking his hopes on one desperate move, Raistlin concentrated his remaining energy, smashed the elf's hand, the hand holding the knife against the stone. Bones cracked, the elf gasped in pain, but he clung tenaciously to his weapon. Panic seized hold. Again and again Raistlin struck Liam's hand against the hard stone. The knife's handle was slippery with blood. Liam could not hold on to it. The knife slipped from his grip and fell to the floor. Liam made a lunge to try to recover his weapon. He lost it in the shadows, apparently, for he was down on all fours frantically searching the floor. Raistlin saw the knife. The blade burned with red fire in Lunatari's bright light. The elf saw it at the same time, made a lunge for it. Snatching the knife from beneath the elf's grasping fingers, Raistlin drove the blade into Liam's stomach. The dark elf screamed, doubled over. Raistlin yanked the blade free. Liam tumbled to his knees, his hand pressed over his stomach. Blood poured from his mouth. He pitched forward, dead at Raistlin's feet. Gasping, each breath causing him wrenching agony, Raistlin started to turn, to flee. He could not make his legs work properly and collapsed to the stone floor. A burning sensation spread from the knife wound through his nerve endings. He was nauseated, sick. Liam would have his revenge after all, Raistlin realized in bitter despair. The dark elf's knife blade had been tipped with poison. The lights of Solinari and Lunatari wavered in his sight, blurred together, and then darkness overtook him. Raistlin woke to find himself lying in the same corridor. Liam's body was still there beside him, the elf's dead hand touching him. The body was still warm. Raistlin had not been unconscious long. He dragged himself away from the dead body of the dark elf. Wounded and weak, he crawled into a shadowy corridor and slumped against a wall. Pain coiled around his bowels. Clutching his stomach, he retched and heaved. When the vomiting subsided, he lay back on the stone floor and waited to die. Why are you doing this to me? he demanded through a haze of sickness. He knew the answer. Because he had dared to bargain with a wizard so powerful that he had once thought of overthrowing Tachesis, a wizard so powerful that the conclave feared his power even after he was dead. If your armor is made of dross, it will crack at the first blow, and when that happens... I will slip inside and take what is mine. Raistlin almost laughed. What little life I have left, you are welcome to, Archmagus. He lay on the floor, his cheek pressed against the stone. 
Did he want to survive? The test had taken a terrible toll, one from which he might never recover. His health had always been precarious. If he survived, his body would be like a shattered crystal, held together by the force of his own will. How would he live? Who would take care of him? Caramon. Caramon would care for his weak twin. Raistlin stared into Lunatari's red, flickering light. He couldn't imagine such a life, a life of dependency on his brother. Death was preferable. A figure materialized out of the shadowy darkness of the corner, a figure illuminated by Solinari's white light. This is it, Raistlin said to himself. This is my final test, the one I won't survive. He felt almost grateful to the wizards for ending his suffering. He lay helpless, watching the dark shadow as it drew closer and closer. It came to stand next to him. He could sense its living presence, hear its breathing. It bent over him. Involuntarily, he closed his eyes. Raced? Gentle fingers touched his feverish flesh. Raced? The voice sobbed. What have they done to you? Caramon, Raistlin spoke. But he couldn't hear his own words. His throat was raw from the smoke, the retching. I'm taking you out of here, his brother said. Strong arms slipped under Raistlin's body. He smelled Caramon's familiar smell of sweat and leather, heard the familiar sound of creaking armor, his broadsword clanking against the stone. No! Raistlin tried to free himself. He pushed against his brother's massive chest with his frail, fragile hand. Leave me, Caramon. My test is not finished. Leave me. His voice was an intelligible croak. He gagged, coughed. Caramon lifted his brother, cradled him in his arms. Nothing is worth this race. Rest easy. They walked beneath the silver hand holding the white light. Raistlin saw tears wet and glistening on his brother's cheeks. He made one last attempt. They won't permit me to leave, Caramon. He fought for breath enough to speak. They'll try to stop us. You're only putting yourself in danger. Let them come, Caramon said grimly. He walked with firm, unhurried steps down the corridor. Raistlin sank back, helpless, his head resting on Caramon's shoulder. For an instant he allowed himself to feel comforted by his brother's strength. The next moment he cursed his weakness, cursed his twin. You fool, Raistlin said silently, lacking the strength to speak the words aloud. You great stubborn fool! Now we'll both die, and of course you will die protecting me. Even in death I will be indebted to you. Ah! Raistlin heard and felt the sharp intake of breath into his brother's body. Caramon's pace slowed. Raistlin raised his head. At the end of the corridor floated the disembodied head of an old man. Raistlin heard whispered words. If your armor is made of dross... Caramon rumbled deeply in his chest, his battle cry. My magic can destroy it, Raistlin protested, as Caramon laid his brother gently on the stone floor. That was a lie. Raistlin did not have energy enough to pull a rabbit from a hat. But he'd be damned if Caramon was going to fight his battles, especially against the old man. Raistlin had made the bargain. He had been the one to benefit, he must pay. Get out of my way, Caramon. Caramon did not respond. He walked toward Fist and Antilus, 
blocked Raistlin's view. Raistlin put his hands to the wall. Propping his body against the stone, he pushed himself to a standing position. He was about to expend his strength in one last shout, hoping to warn off his brother. Raistlin's shout was never uttered. His warning died in a rattle of disbelief. Caramon had dropped his weapons. Now, in place of his sword, he held a rod of amber. In the other hand, his shield hand, he clasped a bit of fur. He rubbed the two together, spoke the magic. Lightning streaked from the amber, sizzled down the corridor, struck the head of Fist and Antilus. The head laughed and hurtled straight at Caramon. He did not blench, but kept his hands raised. He spoke the magic again. Another bolt flashed. The old man's head exploded in blue fire. A thin cry of thwarted anger screamed from some far distant plain, but it died away to nothing. The corridor was empty. Now we'll get out of here, Caramon said with satisfaction. He tucked the rod and the fur into a pouch he wore at his belt. The door is just ahead. How... how did you do that? Raistlin gasped, sagging against the wall. Caramon stopped, alarmed by his brother's wild, frenzied stare. Do what, Raist? The magic, Raistlin cried in fury. The magic! Oh, that! Caramon shrugged, gave a shy, deprecating smile. I've always been able to. He grew solemn, stern. Most of the time I don't need the magic, what with my sword and all, but you're hurt really bad and I didn't want to take the time fighting that lich. Don't worry about it, Raist. Magic can still be your little specialty. Like I said, most of the time I don't need it. This is not possible, Raistlin said to himself, struggling to think clearly. Caramon could not have acquired in moments what it took me years of study to attain. This doesn't make sense. Something's not right. Think, damn it, think. It wasn't the physical pain that clouded his mind. It was the old inner pain clawing at him, tearing at him with poisoned talons. Caramon, strong and cheerful, good and kind, open and honest. Caramon, everyone's friend. Not like Raistlin, the runt, the sly one. All I ever had was my magic, Raistlin said, speaking clearly, thinking clearly for the first time in his life. And now you have that, too. Using the wall for support, Raistlin raised both his hands, put his thumbs together. He began speaking the words, the words that would summon the magic. Raist? Caramon started to back away. Raist, what are you doing? Come on, you need me. I'll take care of you, just like always. Raced, I'm your brother. I have no brother. Beneath the layer of cold, hard rock, jealousy bubbled and seethed. Tremors split the rock. Jealousy, red and molten, coursed through Raistlin's body and flamed out of his hands. The fire flared, billowed, and engulfed Caramon. Caramon screamed tried to beat out the flames, but there was no escaping the magic. His body withered, dwindled in the fire, became the body of a wizened old man, an old man wearing black robes, whose hair and beard were trailing wisps of fire. Fist and Antilus, his hand outstretched, walked toward Raistlin. If your armor is dross, said the old man softly, I will find the crack. Raistlin could not move, could not defend himself. 
the magic had sapped the last of his strength. Fist and Antilus stood before Raistlin. The old man's black robes were tattered shreds of night. His flesh was rotting and decayed. His bones were visible through the skin. His nails were long and pointed, as long as those of a corpse. His eyes gleamed with the radiant heat that had been in Raistlin's soul, the warmth that had brought the dead to life. A bloodstone hung from a pendant around the fleshless neck. The old man's hand touched Raistlin's breast, caressed his flesh, teasing and tormenting. Fist and Antilus plunged his hand into Raistlin's chest and seized hold of his heart. The dying soldier clasps his hands around the haft of the spear that has torn through his body. Raistlin seized hold of the old man's wrist, clamped his hands around it in a grip that death would not have relaxed. Caught, trapped, Fist and Antilus fought to break Raistlin's grip, but he could not free himself and retain his hold on the young man's heart. The white light of Solinari, the red light of Lunatari, and the black, empty light of Nuitari, light that Raistlin could now see, merged in his fainting vision, stared down at him an unwinking eye. You may take my life, Raistlin said, keeping fast hold of the old man's wrist as Fist and Antlis kept hold of the young man's heart. But you will serve me in return. The eye winked and blinked out. Chapter 7 He killed his own brother? Antimedes repeated the information Parsalian had just given him, repeated it in disbelief. Antimedes had not been involved in Raistlin's test. Neither teacher nor mentor of an initiate is allowed to participate. Antimedes had handled the testing of several of the other young magi. Most had gone quite well. All had passed, though none had been as dramatic as Raistlin's. Antimedes had been sorry he missed it. He had been until he heard this. Now he was shocked and deeply disturbed. And the young man was given the red robes, my friend, are you in your right mind? I cannot conceive of an act more evil. He killed an illusion of his brother, Parsalian emphasized. You have siblings of your own, I believe? he asked with a meaningful smile. I know what you are saying, and yes, there have been times I would have been glad to see my brother engulfed in flames. But the thought is a long way from the deed. Did Raistlin know it was an illusion? When I asked him that question, Parsalian replied, he looked straight at me and said in a tone that I shall never forget, Does it matter? Poor young man, Antimides said, sighing. Poor young men, I should say, since the other twin was a witness to his own fratricide. Was that truly necessary? I deemed it so, Odd as it may seem, though he is the stronger of the two physically, Caramon is far more dependent on his brother than Raistlin is on him. By this demonstration, I had hoped to sever that unhealthy connection, to convince Caramon that he needs to build a life of his own. But I fear that my plan did not succeed. Caramon has fully exonerated his brother. Raistlin was ill, not in his right mind, not to be held responsible for his own actions. And now, to complicate matters, Raistlin is more dependent upon his brother than ever. How is the young man's health? Not good. He will live, but only because his spirit is strong, stronger than his body. So there was a meeting between Raistlin and Fist and Antilus, and Raistlin agreed to the bargain. He has given his life's energy to feed that foul lich. There was a meeting and a bargain, Parsalian reiterated cautiously. 
But I believe that this time Fistandantilus may have gotten more than he bargained for. Raistlin remembers nothing? Nothing whatsoever. Fistandantilus has seen to that. I do not believe that he wants the young man to remember. Raistlin may have agreed to the bargain, but he did not die as did the others. Something kept him alive and defiant. If Raistlin ever does remember, I think it is Fistandantilus who might be in considerable danger. What does the young man believe happened to him? The test itself shattered his health, left him with a weakness in his heart and lungs that will plague him the remainder of his life. He attributes that to the battle with the Dark Elf. I did not disabuse him of the notion. Were I to tell him the truth, he would not believe me. Do you suppose he will ever come to know the truth? Only if and when he comes to know the truth about himself, Parsalian answered. He has to confront and admit the darkness within. I have given him the eyes to see with, if he will, the hourglass eyes of the sorceress Relana. Thus he will view time's passing in all he looks upon. Youth withers before those eyes, beauty fades, mountains crumble to dust. And what do you hope to accomplish by this torture? Antimides demanded angrily. He truly thought the head of the conclave had gone too far. To pierce his arrogance, to teach him patience, and, as I said, to give him the ability to see inside himself, should he turn his gaze inward. There will be little joy in his life, Parsalian admitted, adding, but then I foresee little joy for anyone in Ancelon. I did compensate for what you deem my cruelty, however. I never said you didn't need to, my friend. I know how you feel. I have given Raistlin the Staff of Magius, one of our most powerful artifacts, though it will be a long time before he knows its true power. Antimides was bitter refusing to be mollified. And now you have your sword. The metal withstood the fire, Parsalian replied gravely, and came out tempered and true, with a fine cutting edge. Now the young man must practice, he must hone the skills he will need in the future and learn new ones. None of the conclave will apprentice him, not if they think he is somehow tied to Fist and Antilus not even the black robes. They would not trust him. How then will he learn? I believe he will find a master. A lady has taken an interest in him, a very great interest. Not LaDonna, Antimides frowned. No, no, another lady, far greater and more powerful. Parsalian cast a glance out the window, where the red moon shone with a ruby's glittering brilliance. Ah, indeed, Antimides said, impressed. Well, if that's the case, I suppose I need not worry about him. Still, he's very young and very frail, and we don't have much time. As you said, it will be some years before the Dark Queen can muster her forces, before she is prepared to launch her attack. Yet already the clouds of war gather, Antimides remarked ominously. We stand alone in the last rays of the setting sun. And I ask again, where are the true gods now that we need them? Where they have always been, Parsalian replied complacently. Chapter 8 Raistlin sat in a chair before a desk in the Tower of High Sorcery. He had been a resident of the Tower for several days, Parsalian having given the young man permission to remain in the Tower for as long as he deemed necessary to recover from the effects of the test. Not that Raistlin would ever truly recover. 
He had never before been physically strong or healthy, but in comparison to what he was today, he looked back upon his former self with envy. He spent a moment recalling the days of his youth, realized regretfully that he had never fully appreciated them, never fully appreciated his energy and vigor. But would he go back? Would he trade his shattered body for a whole one? Raistlin's hand touched the wood of the staff of Magius, which stood at his side, was never far from his side. The wood was smooth and warm, the enchantment within the staff tingled through his fingers, an exhilarating sensation. He had only the vaguest idea what magic the staff could perform. It was requisite that any mage coming into possession of a magical artifact search out such power himself. But he was aware of the staff's immense magical power, and he reveled in it. Not much information on the staff existed in the tower. Many of the old manuscripts concerning Magius, which had been kept in the Tower of Polanthus, had been lost when the Magi evacuated to the tower at Weyrith. The staff itself had been retained, as being of far more value, though it had, according to Parsalian, remained unused all these centuries. The time had not been right for the staff's return to the world, Parsalian had said evasively in answer to Raistlin's question. Until now, the staff had not been needed. Raistlin wondered what made the time right now, right for a staff that had purportedly been used to help fight dragons. He was not likely to find out. Parsalian kept his own counsel. He would tell Raistlin nothing about the staff, beyond where to find the books that might provide him with knowledge. One of those books was before him now, a small quarto written by some scribe attached to Huma's retinue. The book was more frustrating than helpful. Raistlin learned a great deal about manning battlements and posting guards, information that would be useful to a war mage, but very little about the staff. What he had learned had been inadvertent. The scribe, writing an account of Magius, described the mage leaping from the topmost tower of the besieged castle to land unharmed among us, much to our great astonishment and wonder. He claimed to have used the magic of his staff. Raistlin wrote in his own small volume, it appears that the staff has the ability to allow its owner to float through the air as lightly as a feather. Is this spell inherent in the staff? Must magical words be recited in order to activate this spell? Is there any limit to its usage? Will the spell work for anyone other than the magus who is in possession of the staff? All these were questions that must be answered and that was just for one of the staff's enchantments. Raistlin guessed there must be many more bound within the wood. In one sense, it was frustrating not to know. He would have liked to have had them delineated. Yet if the nature of the staff's powers had been presented to him, he still would have pursued his own studies. The old manuscripts might be lying. They might be deliberately withholding information. He trusted no one but himself. His studies might take him years, but... A spasm of coughing interrupted his work. The cough was painful, debilitating, frightening. His windpipe closed, he could not breathe. And when the paroxysms were very bad, he had the terrible feeling that he would never be able to breathe again, that he would suffocate and die. This was one of the bad ones. He fought, struggled to breathe. He grew faint and dizzy from lack of air, and when he at last was able to draw a breath with a certain amount of ease, he was so exhausted from the effort that he was forced to rest his head on his arms on the table. He lay there almost sobbing. His injured ribs hurt him cruelly. His diaphragm burned from coughing. A gentle hand touched his shoulder. Raced? Are you, are you all right? Raistlin sat upright, 
thrust aside his brother's hand. What a stupid question. Even for you, of course I am not all right, Caramon. Raceland dabbed at his lips with a handkerchief, drew it back stained with blood. He swiftly concealed the handkerchief in a secret pocket of his new red robes. Is there anything I can do to help? Caramon asked, patiently ignoring his brother's ill humor. You can leave me alone and quit interrupting my work, Raceland returned. Are you packed? We leave within the hour, you know. If you're sure you're well enough, Caramon began. Catching his brother's irritated and baleful gaze, he bit his tongue. I'll go pack, he said, though he was already packed and had been for the past three hours. Caramon started to leave, tiptoeing out of the room. He fondly imagined that he was being extremely quiet. In reality, with his rattling, jingling, clanking, and creaking, he made more noise than a legion of mountain dwarves on parade. Reaching into the pocket, Raistlin drew forth the handkerchief, wet with his own blood. He gazed at it for a dark, brooding moment. Caramon, he called. Yes, Raist? Caramon turned around, pathetically anxious. Is there something I can do for you? They would have many years together, years of working together, living together, eating together, fighting together. Caramon had seen his twin kill him. Raistlin had seen himself kill. Hammer blows, one after the other. Raistlin sighed deeply. Yes, my brother, there is something you can do for me. Parsalian gave me a recipe for Tizan that he believes will help ease my cough. You will find the recipe and the ingredients in my pouch there on the chair. If you could mix it for me. I will, Raced, Caramon said excitedly. He couldn't have looked more pleased if his twin had bestowed a wealth of jewels and steel coins upon him. I haven't noticed a tea kettle, but I'm sure there must be one around here somewhere. Oh, here it is. I guess I didn't see it before. You keep working. I'll just measure out these leaves. Whew, this smells awful. Are you sure? Never mind, Caramon amended hurriedly. I'll make the tea. Maybe it'll taste better than it smells. He put on the kettle, then bent over the teapot, mixing and measuring the leaves with as much care as a gnome would take on a life quest. Raistlin returned to his reading. Magius struck the ogre on the head with his staff. I charged in to save him, for ogres are notoriously thick-skulled, and I could not see that the wizard's walking staff would inflict much damage. To my surprise, however... The ogre keeled over dead, as if it had been struck by a thunderbolt. Raistlin carefully noted the occurrence, writing, The staff apparently increases the force of a blow. Raist, said Caramon, turning from watching for the teapot to boil. I just want you to know about what happened. I understand. Raistlin lifted his head paused in his writing. He did not look at his brother, but gazed out the window. The forest of Wayrith surrounded the tower. He looked out upon withering leaves, leafless branches, rotted and decayed stumps. You are never to mention that incident to me or to anyone else, my brother, so long as you live. Do you understand? Sure, raced, Caramon said softly. I understand. He turned back to his task. Your tea's almost ready. Raistland closed the book he had been reading. His eyes burned from the strain of trying to decipher the scribe's old-fashioned handwriting. He was weary from the effort involved in translating the mixture of archaic common and the military slang spoken among soldiers and mercenaries. Flexing his hand, which ached from gripping the pen, 
Raceland slid the volume about Magius into his belt for perusal during their long journey north. They were not returning to Solace. Antimides had given the twins the name of a nobleman who was hiring warriors and would, Antimides said, be glad to hire a war mage as well. Antimides was heading in that direction. He would be glad to have the young men ride with him. Raistlin had readily agreed. He planned to learn all he could from the archmages before they parted. He had hoped that Antimides would apprentice him, and had even been bold enough to make the request. Antimides had refused, however. He never took apprentices, or so he said. He lacked the patience. He added that there was little opportunity in the way of apprenticeships open these days. Raistlin would be far better studying on his own. This was a prevarication. One could not say that a white robe lied. The other mages who had taken the tests had all been apprenticed. Raistlin wondered why he was the exception. He decided, after considerable thought, that it must have something to do with Caramon. His brother was rattling the teapot, making a most ungodly racket, slopping boiling water all over the floor and spilling the herbs. Would I go back to the days of my youth? Then my body had seemed frail, but it was strong in comparison to this fragile assembly of bones and flesh that I now inhabit, held together only by my will. Would I go back? Then I looked on beauty, and I saw beauty. Now I look on beauty, and I see it drowned, bloated, and disfigured, carried downstream by the river of time. Would I go back? Then we were twins, together in the womb, together after birth, still together but now separate. The silken cords of brotherhood cut, dangle between us, never to be restrung. Would I go back? Closing the volume of his precious notations, Raistlin picked up a pen and wrote on the cover, I, Magus. And, with a swift, firm stroke, he underlined it. Coda One evening, while I was absorbed in my usual task of chronicling the history of the world, Bertram, my loyal but occasionally inept assistant, crept into my study and begged leave to interrupt my work. Whatever is the matter, Bertram? I demanded, for the man was as pale as if he'd encountered a gnome bringing an incendiary device into the great library. This, he said, his voice quavering. He held in his trembling hands a small scroll of parchment, tied with a black ribbon and sealed with black ink. Stamped upon the ink was the imprint of an eye. Where did this come from, I demanded, though I knew immediately who must have sent it. That's just it, Master, Bertram said, holding the scroll balanced on the tips of his fingers. I don't know, one minute it wasn't there, and the next minute it was. Knowing I would get nothing more intelligent from Bertram than this, I told him to place the scroll on the desk and to leave. I would peruse it at my leisure. He was clearly reluctant to leave the missive, thinking no doubt it would burst into flame or some other such nonsense. He did as I requested, however, and left with many a backward glance. Even then he waited, hovering outside my door with, as I learned later, a bucket of water nearby, intending, no doubt, to fling it on me at the first puff of smoke. Breaking the seal and untying the ribbon, I found this letter— of which I have included a portion. To Astinus, it may be that I am about to undertake a daring enterprise. It is highly probable that I will not return from this undertaking, should I decide to undertake it. Or if I do, it will be in an altered state. If it should occur that I meet my demise upon this quest, then I give you leave to publish the true account of my early life, including that which has always been kept most secret, 
my test in the tower of high sorcery. I do this in response to the many wild tales and untruths being circulated regarding me and my family. I grant you permission on the condition that Karamon also agrees with my decision. I did not forget about Raistlin's charge to me, as some have implied. Neither Karamon nor I deemed the time right for publication of this book. Now that his nephew Palin has grown to manhood and has taken his own test in the tower, Karamon has given his permission for the book to be published. This is the true account of Raistlin's early life. Astute readers will note discrepancies between this account and others which have come before. I trust those readers will take into consideration the fact that the name of Raistlin Magere had become legend over the years. A great deal that has been written, told, and sung about the great mage is either false or a distortion of the truth. I am guilty of some of this myself, for I deliberately misled people in regard to certain aspects of Raistlin's life. The test in the Tower of High Sorcery, the test that proved to have such a devastating and fateful influence on him, is one of the most important. Other accounts exist of his test, but this is the first time the true account has been written. The Conclave of Wizards has decreed that the nature of the test be kept secret. Following Raistlin's death, certain wild and destructive rumors began to circulate regarding him. Caramon asked for permission from Parsalian to lay these rumors to rest. Since the rumors appeared likely to damage the reputations of all magic users on Kryn, the Conclave granted permission for the story to be told, but only if certain of the facts were altered. Thus Caramon caused to be written an abbreviated story of Raistlin's test, which came to be known as the Test of the Twins. In essence, the story is true, though you will see that the actual events are a great deal different from those earlier portrayed. I finish with the conclusion of Raistlin's letter. I break the silence now, because I want the facts known. If I am to be judged by those who come after me, let me be judged for the truth. I dedicate this book to the one who gave me life. Raistlin Magere The Soul Forge Written by Margaret Weiss Narrated by Chris Sorensen The End